Thank you, Oren. Thank you to our musicians and everyone who came up here to help. Good to be with you again. It's good to be sharing God's word with you again. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 9 as we conclude our series on Jesus, the light of the world. And we'll read from verses 15 to 21 this morning. John chapter 9, 15 to 21. John 9, verse 15. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and I do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son, whom ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity that we have to look into your word. And I pray that our eyes would be open to your truth, and that we would receive that light by the work of your Holy Spirit within our hearts. And I pray furthermore, Father, that you would give us every grace that we need to live what we learn. We thank you that we are called your children. And I pray that our lives would reflect that each and every day. Bless this message today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this series, which is up to its eighth part, has sought to emphasize, emphasize the claim that Jesus made about himself that we find in the scripture that he is the light of the world. That light is this special knowledge, this special truth that a person can come to see and possess for themselves by simple faith. One of those truths, for instance, is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But different people respond to this light differently. Okay, So some people respond to the light. Some people love being outside on a sunny day. Some people don't like being outside on a sunny day. Some people like light and some people don't necessarily like light. And so when it comes to the truth of God, people respond differently to it. There are some like this blind fellow who received light and was more than happy to receive it when he received his sight. But there were some who, when this light was presented to them, vehemently resisted that light and sought to put it out. In other words, to cover it up. Some were just confused. We saw last time that the miracle of giving blind this blind man his sight was performed on a Sabbath day. 
And this upset some of these people that were in charge because some of them thought, or actually all of them thought, that it wasn't right to work on the Sabbath day. And they concluded that even giving a blind man his sight on the Sabbath day was work, and therefore Jesus must have been a sinner. So it created a division among them. But that's the nature of light, you see. Because the Bible says that we live in a dark world. So when light shines into this world, in other words, God's truth permeates the darkness that's around us, it creates a division. And that has been the case from the beginning. So if you go right back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 3 to 5, we'll find that even though the world was in darkness before God created all things, the Bible says that when he created light, he divided it from the darkness and it defined what is called day and what is called night. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So the very act of creating light caused a division. Okay, A division between light and dark, which defined day and night. In a spiritual sense, and God has this habit by the looks of it, of everything that he does physically in the world and the universe seems to have some sort of a spiritual aspect to it as well. And so we find that there is a division when it comes to spiritual light and spiritual darkness. The Bible tells us the whole world dwells in darkness and that we, when God sent his son into the world, he sent light into the world and that light was in his son. And because that light came into a dark world, it caused division. And we see that in all of Jesus' ministry. Everything that he said about himself polarized people. You either agreed with it or you didn't agree with it. You either liked it or you didn't like it and some people loved it and some people actually hated it and some people hated him so much they wanted him dead okay the fact that light existed in the darkness creates a division turn with me to john chapter 3 verse 16 and we'll see this division in what jesus explains about salvation and about the nature of men okay or should I say mankind? Now, most of you are familiar with John chapter 3, verse 16, which is a very simple verse about salvation. And it says there, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness 
rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest or revealed, that they are wrought in God. So I want you to notice the distinction given to us by the word of God. There is a distinction between that which is evil and that which is truth. Okay, And you can either do one or the other. You can do evil or you can do truth. There are some people who simply can't handle the truth. There are some people who hate the truth because if they were to accept that truth, it would reveal their own hearts to them. And see, this is why the biggest stumbling block to being saved is pride. Okay, Pride is admitting that I was wrong. Pride is admitting that I am a sinner before God because that's what the gospel teaches. Pride says that I've been living, pride resists the idea that I've been living my life in darkness. But truth is contained in the word of God. And this is the challenge that we have, okay? This is the challenge that we have even as believers in that when the truth, the light of God is presented to us, the question is how we actually respond to it. Because the truth of God is given to us where? In the book you have in your hand, okay? The light of God's truth is presented in his word. And the question mark is whether you're going to accept that truth or whether you're going to reject that truth or whether you're, you're going to actually try and cover up that truth. Because if you don't want to accept something, you may say to everyone else, oh, yeah, I, I agree with that. But then your acts deny it. And so there is this struggle between truth and evil and truth and light is encompassed in Jesus Christ when God sent his son into the world and evil is where we already were and evil is the darkness. And this is the story that we have presented to us in the story of this blind man who was given sight by Jesus. So last week we looked at how this blind man's neighbors actually responded to him or reacted to him when they saw him for the first time walking around as if everything was fine whereas before they had seen him begging on the side of a street not able to go anywhere unless he was led rejected you see the pharisees already made up their mind about what could and couldn't be done on the sabbath they had created a whole set of rules and in fact if you see the a lot of the uh the um the rebukes that Jesus gives, it does not, it's, it's almost never to poor people who didn't understand. Okay? It was always to the ones who were teaching this nonsense. Okay? So they took God's law, and instead of actually helping people to live that law, they complicated God's law even more. They actually put a whole range of other restrictions around it. And so Jesus gets upset with that because it makes it almost impossible to follow God's law. In fact, they would actually add on so many of their own laws that it made it completely impossible to follow God's law in the first place. And they'd made up their mind what could and couldn't be done on a Sabbath. And then they looked at Jesus and said, well, he healed a man on the Sabbath, a guy who was blind from his birth. That is work. And so therefore, Jesus must be a sinner. 
And now we're going to also see the fear and control that religions and cults impose on people if they ever dare question their authority. I had an interesting uh, conversation with some Jehovah's Witnesses on the street a few weeks back. And it was interesting from the point of view that whatever I said to them, because I began to question some of their things and I raised some scripture verses, they immediately would reject what I told them despite what the scriptures were actually saying, were obviously saying. And they, when they couldn't give me an answer, they said, oh, we have to refer back to who? Well, the watchtower. Because the watchtower, it's, it, apart from being a complete cult, actually controls everything that they are allowed to believe. Okay, And despite the fact that, that what they teach is contrary to the scriptures, when I asked them a simple question, how was a person saved? They couldn't answer me. In fact, they were looking at each other as if like, oh, do you have the answer to that? Or do you have the answer to that? They didn't have an answer. So I said, well, salvation is by grace through faith, the Bible teaches. And it teaches that same thing over and over again. It's simple. You receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and what he's done for you. And they couldn't accept that. Because they had been taught that it was by works. But just like a lot of other Christian denominations, let's say, who teach salvation by works, it's very confusing, isn't it? What works do I have to keep to get me into heaven? But things weren't different then, in Jesus' day. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a wonderful system of control over people. And anyone who dared to question what they were teaching was threatened with excommunication. So this is a fascinating story about where simple faith, simple faith, which leads to salvation, leads to religious ideology. And so, as you may recall, in a previous sermon, I shared with you that the Pharisees considered themselves religious and holy because they were more knowledgeable. And they would look down upon people with less knowledge than them, but especially upon people who had specific diseases and disabilities. Because they concluded in their own minds that for someone to have a disability or a disease, God must have judged them. So therefore, they must be a sinner. And because I'm wealthy and because I am healthy, God, doesn't, God must think that I'm not a sinner. And so they looked at this blind man and when he gave his witness to them, his testimony, the question mark is, well, how good a testimony is this? How reliable of a witness is this one? And they were confused among themselves. And so they get to a point where they're actually divided and they begin to become confused. And they turn back to this, to this blind man and they begin to ask him questions. Look at verse 17. Nine, John chapter 9, verse 17 and 18. And the thing we're going to see here is that the ones who are doing the questioning are the actual spiritually blind. And the one who is actually poor and untrained and simple is actually the one who's actually seeing things very clearly. John chapter 9, verse 17 says... They say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him? In other words, what do, you, what do you say about Jesus? That he hath opened thine eyes. He said, he is a prophet. 
But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that received his sight. Did they accept his testimony? Of course they didn't. And to his credit, the man concludes that Jesus must at least have been a prophet because this guy, as poor as he was, being a beggar, and as blind as he was, knew one thing, that when he was, then he, whatever stories he'd been told about Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Joshua and all these prophets, these guys did miracles. And the one thing that's true about all of these guys is that they were from God. And God answered their prayers. And so he makes this conclusion that he must have at least been a prophet. But they didn't now believe him that he was actually blind at all, ever. Right? There's, some, there's something going on over here. So, they, so they, this sounds like a setup to them. They think this guy's pulling our leg here. There's something going on. And so they, because they registered that this guy's an obvious sinner with a dubious story, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. So the parents, you know, were called to, you know, identify who your son is in this courtroom. And they said, that's our son over there. Was he born blind? Yes, he was. How is he now seeing? We've got no idea. Who did it? We've got no idea. They weren't there when their son was healed by Jesus. But you'll notice they immediately refer them back to their son and they said well he's old enough ask him he knows how to, how to answer for himself it seemed as if they were not quite comfortable with answering questions to these guys and the explanation is given to us in the next two verses in verse 22 it then says these words spake his parents in other words ask him because they feared the jews for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he is of age, ask him. These parents had a healthy fear of the Pharisees. And you might say, well, that's not right. They shouldn't have, had a, they shouldn't have feared the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees had the ability, had the power to excommunicate you from your synagogue. Now, when you think of a synagogue, Think of it as your local church. Okay, that's what it is. And it's not as if, like, you know, you're going to, if you get excommunicated from Faith Baptist Church, you're going to be driving across to Calvary. It doesn't work like that. Okay? You're branded. So if you were kicked out of your synagogue, you had no fellowship anymore with your local community. You were an outcast from your local community. Your reputation was ruined literally overnight and they could literally say anything about you and the others would have to believe it and the threat of being ostracized wasn't just from your local synagogue but also by your from your family and your entire community you were literally seen if they wanted to to be seen like a dead man walking so I want you to imagine being removed from the church if this church was the only church that was around. That's what it would have been like. So they had a healthy fear of these guys. But this was the this is what the actual early 
believers struggled with as well. Because to believe in Jesus meant you were ostracized from your community, meant you were actually cast out of the synagogue. Excommunication is what the early believers faced. When they got baptized, you see, being baptized was a very public thing in those days. We, we get baptized in a pool back here. There's a few of you who want to get baptized, and I think it's a wonderful thing to follow the, obedient, uh, the Lord in obedience. But when you were baptized in those days, it was generally done in, a, in an open place where other people could see. So if you had other people who were around and they saw that you were being baptized by the apostles in the name of Jesus, then all of a sudden that meant a whole world of hurt for you. Things would never be the same because the word would immediately get back to your family, to your church, to the Pharisees who were in charge, and you were probably going to be cast out unless you denounced him. Being a follower of Jesus was a big deal, was a big decision that you made in the early church. And you had this group, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers, who had a great sense of power and self-righteousness. And they set up a system where they were above everyone else and they could control everyone else. And so to keep that thing going, you need to do that with intimidation and fear. And that's exactly what they did. They had quite a violent approach to anyone who might threaten their, their power and their control. And they found it easier to destroy men's lives rather than to save them. Okay? And hence show, they showed themselves to be the enemies of Christ. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, because it explains a particular verse that speaks about the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus experienced, in fact, what John, John the Baptist experienced from the, from the day that he started preaching about the kingdom of God, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, it says there, now listen to these words carefully, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. Was Jesus a violent man? Jesus never forced anyone. Jesus never even chased down anyone. Okay? Jesus was the exact opposite of what was happening to him. And it means that by coercion, by threats, by schemes, intimidation, by violent acts and manipulation these religious leaders were determined to eliminate anyone who threatened their power. That's why the scriptures say they'd made up their mind that if anyone ever came to them and said that Jesus is the Christ, that they'd be cast out of the synagogue. They'd already made up, made that decision. And if you understand, most of Jesus' ministry is that they were looking for ways to get rid of him. They'd made up their mind, this guy's too much of a threat, we have to get rid of this guy. And they wanted him dead. They wanted him removed, and ultimately they did, and that led to his crucifixion. And that's the same that the apostles experienced when they started to preach in his name. So after Jesus ascended into heaven, they've been sent out, the church has started, and if you look 
you'll find that they experience exactly the same threats, exactly the same violence that Jesus experienced. Well, he said, a servant is not greater than his master. If the world hate me, it will hate you. And that's exactly what happened. So turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 15, just to give you a bit of an example about how this particular thing continued Acts chapter 4, verse 15. So the book of Acts is the book of how the church actually started and the beginnings of the church and some of the challenges that it had and some of and the transition away from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the of the earth in terms of the gospel being preached. We find uh, there how deacons first started how the church was organized, what the church focused upon. But Acts chapter 4, verse 15 says, But when they had commanded them to go outside of the church, in this particular place, you find that, that John and Peter had actually um, healed a, a man. Okay, And it, because they'd healed a man in the name of Jesus, they were dragged into the court Okay, because they'd obviously done something that was really bad. And it says there, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. These are the Sadducees, the, the, all the leaders, right? Saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth no, to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. You like that? Well, this guy's interested in the truth. Not at all. They said, well, a notable miracle's been done. Everyone's seen it. But how are we going to control this thing? So instead of asking, how is this possible that these guys are wrong, that these guys are not from God, they, sought, they wanted to cover the whole thing up. They wanted to put a bushel over this, uh, over this light and they wanted to do it by threats of coercion and intimidation. They, didn't, they weren't interested in the truth. They were interested in suppressing the truth because it threatened them. And so they commanded the, the apostles here not to speak or to teach in Jesus' name. And did the apostles obey that? Nope. Okay. But look at what they prayed in verse 29. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness that we may speak thy word. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? They've told them, don't go speaking in Jesus' name. You don't mention that name again. Otherwise, we're going to do some serious things to you. And their prayer to God is, give us more boldness to preach in his name. And so... Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 then says, And by the hands of the apostles, God answered this prayer, by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, that's in the temple. And of the rest does no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, 
that at, the, at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, which is a sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with great joy because people were being healed. No, indignation. And verse 18 says, And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Uh, what sort of spirit is this that does this sort of stuff? You've got people who are being healed of you know, leprosy and lame and blind and Peter's just passing by. Even his shadow is actually doing stuff. All right? Instead of saying, this must be from God or at least questioning them, no, they throw him into prison. This upsets them because they disobeyed their command not to speak in Jesus' name. But guess who was of the same persuasion? The Apostle Paul. So go to chapter 9. Because at chapter 9, this now escalates even more. Okay, So even though the Apostles were now doing more and more miracles and people were looking at this and saying, these guys are from God and I want to hear what message they have. Acts chapter 9. By Acts chapter 9, we have, and this is verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter, against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that's of the, the Christian way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. How's that? Paul was a pretty zealous sort of guy. He wanted to protect what was going on. You see, Paul was a Pharisee as well. He trained under one of the best teachers. He had a great reputation and he wanted to build his reputation. And he was going to do it by wiping out these people that were causing so many headaches for them. This is who this blind man was giving his testimony to. This is the spirit that they had when they're asking questions, this wasn't a spirit where they were genuinely wanting to find out what's happened here or to find the truth. These people were not interested in finding the truth. These people had already made up their minds and these people were looking for an excuse to destroy someone who might have been, who may have been a threat to them. So let's turn back to John chapter 9. Look at verse 24 with me now. And now they change tact here. All right? And now they're going to try and sow confusion to this man. And it says in verse 24, Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Now, I want you to notice what they did here. Okay? I want you to notice they said, give God the glory for this thing. Don't you dare say this was Jesus who did it to you. This is God who did this to you. Isn't that what? Lovely. Should you give God the glory? Of course you should. For every good thing that comes from above. 
especially if if you've been blind since you've been born and now you've received your sight, of course you should be giving God the glory. Did they say the right thing there? Yes, but they did it with a particular motive. They said, give God the glory. This guy is a sinner. So they wanted him to acknowledge one thing that was true, but to deny something else that was obviously true that was connected with that thing. And this is what religion will do every time. Religion will force you to claim or to believe an obvious truth, but then it will tell you to deny something else is true because it can't put the two together. It It cannot live with both. And so that's why you, when we look at um, Christendom and the various denominations, and I'll just go back to Jehovah's Witnesses for a while, they will tell you that, oh, yes, you should believe in God. You should believe that God loves mankind. You should believe that Jesus died on the cross. You should believe that he rose again on the third day. All lovely stuff. But don't you dare say that he is God in the flesh. Don't you dare say that he was divine. Don't you dare say that salvation is a gift that can be received by simple faith. You have to work for it and you'll never know whether you get there or not. You have to keep on working. That's what religion will do to you. This is why Jesus called these people whitewashed tombs. Because they presented the scriptures and spoke nice words and knew a lot about what God had said in the Bible, but they didn't understand the meaning of it. They couldn't live it. They glossed over the things that God said were important and they made mountains out of the molehills that weren't that big of a deal and so matthew 23 verse 24 turn with me there shall we put on some air in here i think it's getting pretty stuffy can you open the windows a bit more thanks for that matthew chapter 23 verse 24 Look at what Jesus calls these particular people. He says, "Ye blind guides. And they're meant to be guides for those who can't see. Okay, And they're meant to be people who are leading people into the truth. He says, "Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Which, in other words, you make little things big deals and you make the, the important stuff, you make it of no, of no consequence. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto white, whited sepulchres, white painted tombs, okay, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones. And of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And so, to his credit, 
The man simply says, I don't know about whether Jesus was sinful or not. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. And so in verse 26 of John chapter 9, they continue their interrogation because this one didn't actually, this one didn't actually work on him. Okay, Trying to divide Jesus from God. John chapter 9, verse 26, and says, Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? What did he do? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Why do you want to know again? Will you also be his disciples? That's a good one. I'm not sure whether he did that on purpose or whether he genuinely thought, these guys are asking a lot of questions about Jesus. Maybe they want to be his disciples too. And so their response to that was, then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Did you get that? So the, the man simply, do you want to be his disciples too? With all these questions you're asking me? And so their response is to that, they reviled him. So to revile someone means to insult and scorn <laughs> and tell off, okay? And so they accuse, and, and their, their biggest accusation of him was, you're one of his disciples. We know what's going on here. You're trying to trick us. You're already one of his disciples and you're making it as if, you know, you're just, uh, you're just here as a result of his ministry. And they said, well, that, we're not his disciples. We're Moses' disciples. And, and we know that Moses was from God, but this guy, we don't know where he's from. In other words, he could be from the devil, for all we know. And so verse 30, the guy who's probably would have been a good lawyer, I think, in our day, says, And the man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvellous thing, that's amazing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshipper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Now that is a seriously reasonable and logical argument. <coughs> God doesn't hear sinners. He doesn't answer the prayers of sinners, but God hears his own. And he answers their prayers. Yet, if Jesus wasn't from God, <coughs> how did he answer Jesus' prayer for something that's never been seen before? Something. So the Old Testament saints had this truth and they're looking forward to the one. Where they are, and they're asking the question, who is he? Who will he be that will come so that we can put our faith in him? And that answer, or that question is answered in the New Testament. When Jesus Christ is sent into the world by the Father to rescue men from their sin. The light has come into the world to save men from sin and from darkness. To open up their eyes to the truth. Do you believe in the Son of God this morning? Do you know who he is? 
Have you seen him through his word? All you need to know is who he is. And then put your faith in him. The blind man saw him in front of him. Jesus says, this is who you see. He's standing right in front of you. This is who the scriptures will reveal to you. This is who the scriptures keep pointing us to. These are, this, this is the man who the scriptures keep telling us to follow and to be like and to trust. And so Jesus finishes with this passage, verse 39 to 41. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see might not see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which, uh, which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now ye say, We see. Therefore, your sin remaineth. Some people think that they can see, but they're blind. But there are some who admit that they're blind and are given their sight. Some will be so afraid of what they see in that light that they will resist it their entire lives. Some people will run from that light like a cockroach runs from the light when it's turned on. And there are some who, when they see the light, see themselves. And the Bible says that they repent. And they realise that the scriptures are... If you've not yet come to the light, choose the light and be freed from the chains of darkness. Remember always, Jesus is the light of the world. God bless you.